Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Welcome. Water Cooler Show about marketing, sales, and technology. Each episode focuses on bringing advice that works. So with so much change and turbulence in the industry, we thought it'd be a great idea to bring on the legend, Brad Inman, founder of Inman News, to share his thoughts, his feelings, his predictions of the future. You know, uh, in preparation for this, Brad, I was thinking about um, how many people in this industry are, are connected or have been touched by your brand, the business you have built. And, you know, I think about how many successful people I know who have an Inman story, whether it was their first Inman Connect uh, or for me personally, you know, uh, being able to, uh, you, you were able to put me on the road, uh, very much thanks to Chris, I think probably campaigning for me for Agent Reboot. I went to 24 cities about a decade ago and that was a truly transformative experience for me. We launched Curator, Chris, we launched yeah at New Kids on the Block. And I remember sitting in the room and Brad giving a big pep talk on how to present the right way when you got a minute. He's like, don't screw it up. This is your chance. And, and I think there are countless examples of those stories that people have in this industry because you've built an iconic brand that really stands for something. Chris, what's your Inman story? How are you connected to Inman? Well, I was lucky enough to work for Brad and uh, my title was Chief Evangelist mm -hmm. and I was the, I was the Connect MC. Uh, I was the MC for Agent Reboot, and it was it was really a life changing experience because I I remember the first time I spoke at Inman, and Brad had no idea who I was. I was backstage. I had like a ten minute session thanks to Madeline Mock, our old friend Madeline. Yeah. And I remember Brad said uh, he was about to introduce me, and he says, "What do you do?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm a blogger." He's like, "All right, you're a blogger. Cool." He's like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, "I'm from Brooklyn." He's like. Up next, the blogger from Brooklyn. <laughs> it was like, that was all the intro that I needed. But what I remember, honestly, Brad, and I can't wait to have this moment again in the future, is your vision for the future mm -hmm. is oftentimes right. You're not perfect. You don't predict all of it, but you have a unique perspective running Inman News, running Inman Connect. And I just remember like, I feel so proud to be at your events because you've got the smartest people in the world there, like Seth Godin, you've got YouTube, you've got the New York Times there, you've got Facebook there, Twitter. You know, I remember I got to interview the CEO of Evernote. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times our industry is looked down on. You know, people think of realtors and they think of the real estate industry as being cheesy. And what Inman News does is it, it brings a level of class and sophistication to the industry that is deserved. So props to you, Brad. Thank you for that opportunity. And we're excited. We think you're a great interviewer. So we're going to try to do a great interview. Mm -hmm. Can I tell a real quick story about Connect and, and Chris? Is that cool? Sure. So uh, it was back in uh, 2011, uh, December. I lost my parents back to back. And as most people know, cause I kind of lay my personal life out there for the connect community who I love and have been so supportive. Uh, I was pretty down and out. It's probably the, that following year was probably the worst year I ever had. Putting one foot in front of the next was really, really challenging. And uh, I went to connect in January mm -hmm. and Chris was the MC and we had a pre-meeting of only a couple hundred people. I have no clue what that particular meeting is. I've forgotten Chris. But I gave this really sad sack, Debbie Downer, you know, I was just in, I was not in a, in a good space. And what I loved about what you did is you, you took me in the side and said, Hey Brad, I know you had a tough personal thing, but these people are going through shit. The housing market was crumbling. Sales were going, you know, 
they need. So fake it till you make it, Inman, and mm-hmm. get up there and send as positive a message as you can. And I just never forgot that because um, I take my role seriously, but I kind of lay myself out there. But I also realize the duty of a leader mm-hmm. um, is to steer people in a direction that's full of opportunity. And you can't do that when you're a, when you're a Debbie Downer. It's mm-hmm. okay to deliver bad news. It's okay to deliver hard advice. It's okay to be direct. But it's, you, you really taught me a lesson there that I've never forgotten, Chris. So thank you. The least I could do. Yeah. Well, you are, you are the, uh, you also hold this honor, Brad. You are the last person Chris Smith has ever worked for and probably the last person he'll ever work for. Right. After that, he started curator with me and the rest is history. So, so Brad, why don't we kick it off here? Um, you know, I think one of the things Chris and I were thinking about before this interview was, uh, with all the changes happening right now, we, we, we kept asking ourselves, what is, what are the things that are temporary mm-hmm. versus what are the things that are permanent? Yeah. So when you look at this industry and you look at all the all the uh, pivoting we've done from a virtual showings to obviously the uh, the the advancement with more more investment in marketing to make properties more accessible online to uh, you know what people are doing with open houses now I, I see agents now Brad where they're actually giving sort of these personal tours through, you know, through FaceTime where they're not just showing the property they're driving around the neighborhood with their uh, you know, uh, phone on the dashboard, giving the consumer a tour of the area. When, when you think about the changes that we've we've uh, we've gone through, that are let's say temporary, you just think that when things do kind of settle down and things start to become back to normal, uh, what comes to mind for you? Things that you don't think are going to stick post pandemic. Well, actually, what I think a great question, Jimmy. What I think isn't going to stick is the technology, one example, there's many things, but mm-hmm. one thing that's not gonna stick is the technology that was dysfunctional before COVID that people are stuck with and trying to make work. And I don't wanna confine this to technology because this is about people. I had a revelation recently where I said technology was overrated and people flipped out when they read that on Facebook, but I'll explain it if, if we get to it. But I think the fact is there's a lot of crappy technology out there and uh, people are forced to use it. Either someone's shoving it down their throat or they've been sold a bill of goods by good salespeople. And now when they need the technology more than ever, it's not functioning. Mm-hmm. And I just had that personally. I mean, I, to- I always tell the story of my rumba, you know, lighting it up for the first time during COVID in Palm Springs. And it was the most obnoxious you know, uh, experience I'd ever had. And I threw it in the swimming pool. I also threw my uh, Google Homes in the swimming pool. You know, people become really important. Relationships become really important. And our connection to the most important people in our lives, as our world has gotten smaller, gang, all it's gotten smaller. You know, I haven't seen Chris Smith uh, mm-hmm. live. I have, you know, so the only people I'm able to see on a regular basis, you know, my dad used to say it comes down to five people um, mm-hmm. in your life, your friends after your family. And so I guess all, the point of all this is we don't need a lot of noise. We don't need a lot of distraction. We got to stay really focused. And, you know, just authenticating a password now has become complex. Mm-hmm. Using the latest legacy tech from a legacy company like Comcast I had to go through the other day. Getting money that PayPal lost. It, it opens your eyes to the crap in our personal lives that we deal with every day. Now, imagine you're a realtor trying to make a deal work where technology has never been more important. So I think, boom, get rid of all the crap. Boom, adopt the stuff that really makes sense. And and we can get into the details of where I think that's at. But never more important. At the beginning of the summer, my advice to realtors, keep your head down 
and, and really focus um, and make sure you're present and do everything with integrity because you'll be remembered. We'll all get a report card from COVID. But I have a new message this fall. Mm-hmm. Keep your head up because now there's opportunity. Clearly real estate performed this summer. They kept their head down. They delivered an absolutely necessary service. People are moving around. They have housing questions. They're paranoid. They're concerned. They're trying to sell. They're trying to buy. Realtors have never proved their human abilities better than this summer, ever, ever. It should accelerate or improve the reputation of the average realtor and the entire industry. Mm-hmm. But it's also a time now, look up gang, there is opportunity hanging out there. Mm-hmm. And I'll you tell know, you- One of the words, Jimmy, that you mentioned a lot is essential. And I think this is where, if you think about the tech world, Brad, and the real estate world, a lot of times we look at them as, as two different worlds. That's literally what Connect is, is bringing those worlds together. But the common goal for both sides should be essentialism. Like if you're not essential to your consumers, if the technology is not essential to your life, like Jimmy had a thing that we started talking about in the spring when COVID started hitting and everybody freaked out and people were really worried. So we can't be Hulu. Yeah. You can't be Hulu. You got to be Netflix. You got to be the power bill. You got to be the thing that nobody cuts when they start cutting stuff. Yeah. Exactly. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And um, anyway, that, that's my, uh, you know, that's my new stick is this fall is, you know, look up, focus even more, double down on the relationship part of it. Get Mm -hmm. rid of half three quarters of the technology you're using, get rid of the rumba, you know, get rid of the stuff that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Get rid of anything that really doesn't create a meaningful connection with your customer. Mm-hmm. And I know that's what you help agents do so successfully. But there's a lot of industry, you know, tech crap out there that really is pretty alienating and mm-hmm. uh, for the consumer. And so I think doubling down on that consumer value proposition. But we got a long way to go, Chris and, and Jimmy. Think about the 3D tour. Yaz is in New York right now. We want to be part of the Renaissance. We believe in New York and we've gone back like a lot of friends and there's an artistic movement surfacing. There's, you know, some really cool stuff happening. And she's been looking for houses and uh, she sends me links. And, um, you know, the 3D tours are really still clunky. Mm-hmm. You know, they really, we can do better than that. I mean, it mm-hmm. was 25 years ago at the first Connect guys where we had a huge machine in the middle of the Sonoma Woods. It was a virtual walk, 360 degree. That's 25 years ago. And now I get on a 3D tour and it's like, it's kind of hard to move around. It's not, you know, and God love the entrepreneurs that made it happen, but we got a long way to go with some basic technology to make this semi-virtual experience a better one. Yeah, it's, it, there's a couple thoughts that kind of come to mind. And I'm just curious, cause I know you study, I, I remember I was blown away when you had, um, Patrick Carlson's brother, I don't know his name because everyone knows Patrick Carlson, but you had Patrick Carlson's brother at Inman Connect. Now, yeah, people, yeah. Don't, people don't know, and some may can Google who Patrick Carlson's brother is. He's like the other founder of Stripe, but yeah. you had Stripe at Inman Connect. Right. And now, nobody knows who, knows who Stripe is unless you're in the SaaS space, right? Or if you're selling digital products. But, uh, but for so those- You probably of us, used it five times a day and don't even know it. Yeah, it's one. It's, the, it's, it's becoming the currency of the internet. It's the underlying technology that supports yep. commerce on the internet, and they're an incredible company. What companies do you look at outside of real estate right now, Brad? Do you think who are reacting and responding really well 
to the change? You know, you mentioned, you know, obviously getting rid of the crap, staying focused. Who's doing that right now that you've observed that you're just like in admiration of that you said, hey, we got to all be looking as, as we also to look up, Brad, who should we be looking to for guidance here? Yeah. Well, one, you know, you may not know this story, but Inman went virtual five years ago by a freak set of circumstances, you know, a hundred people and deaths and we went virtual. And it was because we were started recruiting around the country, not just in the Bay Area, like Chris, like Katie, all these superstars. And Chris, thanks so much for the compliment. Um, this summer, I've had so many calls and emails with those kind of thank yous, and it really blew me away. It was very humbling. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, all those people that graduated from Inman University, um, mm -hmm. it's amazing uh, how they all work virtually like Chris. They work effectively. So we had half our staff. The staff that was in San Francisco started getting mad. Like, how come we can't work from home? And so Morgan mm -hmm. uh, Brown, who's, you know, one of the great employees of Inman, he said, well, we'll let you off Friday and Monday. I just showed up. I, I was working virtual in Southern California. I showed up on a Wednesday and uh, no one's in the office. And I looked at our, you know, our rent. I looked at, you know, what I love is the symbol of an office, the Big Bertha copier. The people basically used to, the weirdos to stick their face in it and make a copy and the other people getting concert tickets, you know. It was just big maintenance agreement, big lease, big bullshit, big unnecessary. It actually prevented you from going you know, virtual and efficient because you copied shit. Mm -hmm. And so we got rid of that. We subleased the hot market in the Bay Area. We made a couple extra grand. All that flushed to the bottom line for me as an owner. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we found is productivity up, uh, morale unbelievably good at Inman News. And mm -hmm. I give my executive team credit. And recruiting is a cinch. So we came onto that really early on. And what made that possible was Slack. And I know people use Teams, but I, you know, I don't know. Teams, I get on these calls with people that have Teams. It still seems clunky and bureaucratic. Slack really works. So how do you create a virtual office? That's a company, you know, and I'll be honest, I had bought some stock, full disclosure. I'm not, I'm not peddling the stock here, but I think there is an example of a company that's making, you know, things virtual. Anything that automates anything is going to have value. You yeah. know, there's a lot of new you know, I mean, Morgan Brown just went to work for Shopify. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be competitors to, to Amazon that we've never seen before. Yeah. You know, I think the whole distribution network and logistics of Walmart was profound and how they began to deliver goods and services with the same consumer-centric approach they take in their stores. That was a great example of a legacy pivot. Very, very dynamic. So you hey, I'm a big fan of TikTok. You know why? TikTok is sending a healing message across the waves, and maybe it's being orchestrated by the Russians. I hope not, but I'm seeing some real healing going on at TikTok, and I'm seeing some cool real estate stuff. Street Easy's doing some stuff on TikTok. I could go on and on with my list. There's the old favorites, but those are just uh, mm -hmm. three companies that stand out, Walmart, TikTok, and Slack. Yeah, and we we want to dive into talking about the the real estate market as a whole and just get you to weigh in on this. But I think there's there's something to be said about something like Slack. So Slack obviously was a company that, that grew virally. They grew organically through their network. It was one of its classic examples of the bottom up growth versus yeah, like, sort of price so, it. But like with yeah, it, very much so. And, and what's interesting though about Slack now is that they're getting crushed in the enter, enterprise space. Yeah. Because IT directors are saying, oh, well, Microsoft's going to give me Microsoft Teams because it's part of the 365 suite. So it's a, it's a company that in some areas has- A great example, Jimmy, is Realogy. 
I have to go on these calls with Realogy, and I love Ryan Schneider. I love the team there. They never had a better team for the times. But why didn't he fucking dump, you know? And I own Microsoft stock too, so I should be careful. But why don't they dump teams and go with Slack? It's just every time I try to get on that system, mm -hmm. it's like me calling Comcast or talking to a bot instead of, you know, an overseas customer service rep. I mean, it's, but again, I, I'm sure Realogy, but it, my guess is that the IT guy inside Realogy weighed heavy and won that battle. Um, yeah, I've seen Brian Snyder do some amazing things with tech already, so I think he's on target. But I think that's one where, what the heck, you guys? But again, someone else could probably persuade me, Inman, you're wrong. You don't understand how Teams works. If you did, you'd be smarter about what you're saying right now. Well, that's, what you're saying is it's never too late to be great. Because if you think about, because there was a technology called Hall.com that was almost exactly like Slack. I learned about it from the guys at Basecamp. But think about the, what we're doing now with Zoom. Yeah. We should be doing this on GoToMeeting. And yeah. if GoToWebinar had been a, a couple steps smarter, yeah. and what about Skype? Yeah. Right? Like Zoom's a good example of, I don't think that you have to be the first to be the best. And a lot of times you can learn from the people that come before you and you can be just a little bit different or a little bit faster or a little bit sexier. But it is, it is a great example. So let's talk about the market for a second, Brad. By the way, Skype's another one. We use Skype as the foundational uh, communication tool mm -hmm. at our first Connect Now. And I was like, really? We're going to use Skype? And the production mm -hmm. team, they were excellent. Mm -hmm. They were absolutely wedded to it. But again, they're not, they weren't with it, I don't think. There's probably mm -hmm. something we did wrong or I did wrong with my controls. But honestly, it, it was not, I think of Skype 20 years ago when I'm traveling through South America. It's the only way I could call home and I loved it. But it just felt like, you know, kind of like PayPal, kind of like eBay. Mm -hmm. Felt like, you know, the founders, the visionaries of those companies sold out, made billions. They're living in God knows where. Mm -hmm. But the team that was left, you know, and the bureaucracy and being acquired, it's very hard when you're acquired to keep the motion going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the lesson I think that's, and this is maybe just a transition into the talking about like the market and the real estate agents in general is uh, right now the market is really good. And, and at, a, at a certain point, if you, if you think about the examples that each of you just gave, whether it's Skype, whether it's GoToMeeting, whether it's uh, services like um, Hull, like, uh, or even a, a classic uh, social media one, which is uh, Friendster. If these companies did their job when things were going well, there would be no Facebook, there would be no Slack, there would be no Zoom. So I guess my question is right now, Brad, transitioning to the market here for a second, what do you think, because the market right now, we talked to agents, Chris, it's, they're busier than ever. Yeah. But, but like, it's, it, do you have a general sense of false confidence Meaning, yes. like, so just maybe unpack that for us, because I, I think this is a, a true uh, opportunity for us to sort of take a moment to reflect before we actually go out there and act. Because right now, everyone's the market is great, and they can't think beyond the next three months. How yes. do you see the current market, Jimmy? I think you're right on. I think we have to be really careful, and this is counterintuitive. Um, look at the momentum stocks. Let's just—it's not a fair comparison, but let's compare the real estate market to momentum stocks. Mm -hmm. And who are momentum stocks? So the momentum stocks are being traded, you know, by everybody, but they're, you know, Warren Buffett's buying Apple and it oddly enough became kind of a momentum stock 
you know, for the Robin Hooders. And I think the danger here is I, I don't predict the future. I, I like Lawrence at NAR and he's data driven. Uh, God love him. He can predict it. And uh, the rest of the experts, I mean, you know, I, I just hate predicting the future. I love to like, as you know, take people around the bend and imagine what if we had a virtual transaction. Imagine what if uh, iBuying became substantive. Imagine what would happen, you know, all of this stuff. That I like to do, but predicting the future, people that do that, they're always wrong. When I was a print journalist, I used to cover economics and economists were always friggin' wrong. Mm -hmm. But I do tell you this, my intuition tells me. What was, and today maybe be the reckoning, maybe not, who knows, we don't know. I don't even know who's gonna know what the market is gonna do until tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. in New York City. But I do think it, it's a sign that a little bubble there is bursting. And maybe it's a big bubble. You know, maybe it's a correction, maybe it's something. So my gut always says, when something is too good to be true, be careful. Mm -hmm. Like if you're making oodles of money, and Chris and you and I have talked about this so many times. If you're making oodles of money, save half, save half. And I think Americans are right now. Save half what you're making mm -hmm. you know? and uh, be careful because just like the Apple stock today or the Tesla stock today, and God knows tomorrow, these bubbles can burst. Is this a bubble? It feels like there's some fundamentals in place that feel really good. And I would like to think that they're solid, but you know, you just never what would an agent do? No, let's let's take let's take a moment to say there is let's say a pending doom or driving towards a cliff, right? And yeah, I, want, I didn't go that far, Jimmy. Those were your words. Let's, but. let's, just, let's just say let's say there, there's a correction, a chain. Yeah. You know, the market softens in some capacity. What should someone be doing now or thinking about right now when or to better prepare themselves for just the uncertainty of tomorrow? Because I think this is the, this is the maybe the the, the great challenge in real estate that we all experience is that because the job is so all-consuming, so yeah. little time is spent on things like quarterly planning or annual yeah. planning. What should agents be doing now or thinking about now or asking right now to prepare themselves for that uncertain future? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I don't have to tell any agent this because they're more motivated than anything I could possibly say, but that's, you know, make sure you streamline and close transactions as fast as you can. If you got appetites, if you got buyers, um, you know, get them move them through through the move them through the, the system ASAP. Don't don't hesitate now more than ever. Maybe be a little over eager with the buyers that were contacting you, and uh, be a little over eager with your sellers. If this happens this fall, you know, you just want to close as much business as you can. This is just a mm -hmm. practical thing. I mean, I know you guys how you run your business. Chris knows how I run mine, and you know get those advertising deals in the door, get the mm -hmm. money in the bank, you know, accelerate your collections, accelerate your closing, everything we've talked about automating the transaction. I always said, would you get over the fact this is a threat realtor? You are the worst position in the whole value chain because you have a long sales cycle and then it takes forever to close because it's an inefficient transaction. And you want to hang your hat on your value is that this is a slow process and I walk you through it like a shepherd. No, you want to close the transaction because the consumer wants to close it. But most importantly for the agent, you get paid. Mm -hmm. and so do whatever you can to get paid. Also, open your mind up to these new ways that are coming out. You know, and not just announce and just full disclosure, they're a big sponsor. This isn't a commercial, mm -hmm. but not just announce this home swap. And I call it 
pre-funding, you know, get involved with those programs. So, cause they can close fast. Um, and you know, those are the steps I would take, but back to the basics. And we all know this mm-hmm. save money. Yeah. Brad, let me ask you a question. What is it going to take? If you're in a downturn and you're liquid, you're fine. If you're in a downturn and you're not liquid, you're probably screwed. Mm-hmm. What is it going to take for people to start listing their home again? Uh, I think this reshuffle is going to take hold. I think there's probably, there's a, there's a tier of people, Chris, that I think already know they can work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? And then look at that tier. That tier so they have family connections. They're going to have kids. They want to stay with the extended family. But actually, they may have traveled to San Francisco away from that extended family. So mm-hmm. that tier that already knows this year, next year, and into the future, they're going to wait for home. Like every imminent employee. We just found out about a year ago that one of our employees lived in Portugal. Uh, no one knew it. You know, I mean, the freedom this gives you. So let's look at that tier. So that tier knows that tier has dreams, that tier maybe want to get to their extended family. Maybe they want to finally, hey, honey, let's move to Boulder. We always talked about it. Mm -hmm. There's that tier. Then there's another group that's uncertain, like is Realogy ever going to open its offices? So are those two or 3,000 employees at Realogy in New Jersey, do they know yet? My suspicion is all of these companies, 90% of them, Chris, will learn what Inman learned, higher productivity, higher morale, easier to recruit. If you want to recruit young people that are creating families now, you don't drag them into an office. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a big middle there and there's a portion of that big middle that's going to use this as an opportunity to go there. But you know, what are we talking about? Move up buyers, then a homeowner, boy, they've got to make a really difficult decision this summer to list their property. One, the safety of listing it. Two, where am I going to go next? And that's why things like not can help them because it's mm-hmm. a home. Um, th- we got to overcome all the current pressing fears they have about moving about you know listing their house and that's really clogging up the market i think otherwise they would sell they can get top dollar right now but you know it's hard to move it's hard to sell it's pretty hard to do any of this shit when you're in the midst of covid yeah i have a quick follow-up i wish i had a magic wand i don't yeah well i think but i do think this chris Mm -hmm. real estate's always been aspirational and it's always been marketing right we're marketing that aspiration. So I think realtors in an elegant, ethical way can, as they've always done, feed into that aspiration. And if your aspiration now that you're mobile and can live wherever you want is to finally live in Boulder or wherever, Lincoln, where you can mm-hmm. buy a house for 200,000, then I think realtors can be really savvy and grease that without losing their ethics. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, and I think the, um, I've worked on a couple of notes here that I wanna just have you weigh in on Brad. I think one of the greatest missed opportunities that I see is this industry returns to business as usual once everything sort of settles back down, where we don't change, we don't adapt. And you mentioned Amazon earlier. When I, when I study great companies, these great companies, they take their strength and they expand on it. So Amazon's strength in retail, they expanded into media, they expanded into AWS with infrastructure, they expanded into travel, they're expanding into groceries. I hear they're gonna be expanding into healthcare. They're sort of adding more channels or more markets that they serve because of their their proximity and their relationship with the customer. And I, when I think about the, the modern real estate agent, I believe that the modern real estate agents, their biggest, call it proprietary, uh, unique value proposition is their proximity to the customer, but yet they only serve the customer in one way. 
Do you think the modern real estate agent needs to be open to the idea of expanding its services beyond the one thing it does? Because if you think about the relationship that a, that a great agent has with the consumer, it, they become their best friend. They become a part of the community. They, 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 they are their trusted advisor. Yet they, and I don't, I don't sound callous here, but they don't monetize that. Yeah. Once every seven years. How do you see that unfolding? If you were to maybe provide some advice or weigh in on that. Yeah, you know, just real quickly on Amazon, if you're going to take lessons from Amazon, consumer centric's one thing. But I've been a partner of Amazon, a lot of different businesses outside of real estate, like eBooks. And and if you talk to anyone that's ever done a deal with Walmart, I mean, we, I don't know how many of you ever gone to Walmart, knocked on the door and hoped that they would be your partner, but it's similar with Amazon. They are fierce and they're absolutely, um, you know, ruthless when it mm -hmm. comes to what they call their partners, which is really a vendor. And they're not easy to do business with. I've been saying to realtors, if you don't dump your escrow and title company and any other financial partner that is not doing a automated virtual closing transaction, e-signature, you know, the latest greatest with the notary, then, then you're foolish. And guess what? You have the power. You have the power just like Amazon had over me as an ebook company, just like Walmart has over the guy that makes spaghetti for him. You know, they, you have huge power. You never use that clout. And so I think going horizontal, picking up other parts of the business are interesting, but it is a transactional business. What you should do is get leverage on time, get leverage on money and extract value from there, which in the end of the day feeds what you do. I had a house in Palm Springs. I was decided to rent it because I didn't know when Yas and I were going to go back. And my realtor didn't want to do the property management. I'd rather have him do it. I trust him. Byron is the best. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he left uh, whole chickens in my front door with not, with no attribution, not at, telling me who it was. He he you know he got documents printed for me. He got he was a full service realtor. But so far, all he's made money off is, is my one transaction mm -hmm. and some referrals, but he's counting on the referrals. And for him getting $200, $300 a month to manage my property versus I'm going to hopefully milk Brad for more referrals uh, in a, you know, an honest way. Um, so I think it's tough. Now, what should you do, though? You should do deals with iBuyers. You should do deals with HomeSwap and Knock. You should do deals with all of these characters that might, one, generate leads, but most importantly, will make it easier for you to, you know, spread the swath of your services to some of those buyers that may have, you know, problems getting in or sellers that can't get out. I mean, the whole thing with HomeSwap is sellers aren't selling and buying because they got to move somewhere, but they have, you know, uncertainty, like we all know a move a buyer has. Mm. Yeah, it's- it, it, Am I lecturing? I don't want to lecture, Jim. That's why we brought you on. We love it. Why you're here, my friend, and I think I think what it's what's interesting. I, I'm I'm hearing you resist the idea of getting into auxiliary businesses. Where where I might push back is I, I would say that at the end of the day, if you know these other businesses are are there isn't there what you would refer to as they're a necessary component and they're real. Someone doesn't seek to get a mortgage. It's not something they wake. It's a it's a piece of the puzzle that they need to have. So yeah. the idea of like, if you if it already can be handled in a house, like what I'm getting at is I'm just surprised. I mean, this is an observation and I'm ignorant to the industry because I'm not a real estate agent. I never sold any real estate, but I'm just surprised that more agents, given the relationship and the proximity to the customer, aren't taking a book out of some of these other companies like Amazon and trying to expand upon that. 
Well, I think what you have to have in order to do that, Jimmy, is a monopoly. And I, I think of one close in real estate that failed. And it just, it, I'll never forget two conversations I had in one year on the main stage at uh, Connect many, many years ago. The idea of, you know, Sears buying Colo Banker was that they could capture the customer. They'd buy a bunch of shit from Sears. Yeah. The, uh, you know, this has been tr- prudential. They were going to capture a high net worth home buyer and then turn them into a high net worth uh, a banking client. You know, this has gone on for 30 years, but Realogy was like, they had scale, mm-hmm. they were fierce. You know, they had got 25% of the market, which was significant. They had a big share of the reload market. They had a big share of the luxury market. They had all the pieces together. And then they started buying mortgage and they started out kind of into title. And I'll never forget the CEO, I'll leave him nameless at Century 20, great guy. He's on stage with me and he said, oh my gosh, all of these clients of Century 21, Eight, only 8% use our mortgage services at Senda than, you know, now Realogy. He goes, can you imagine now with this synergy, what we're going to do? And a year later, I had him back on stage and I had remembered what he said. And uh, we went through all the current shit that we had to talk about. And then I said, I think it was Rick. I said, Rick, um, how's it going with that 8% conversion rate of Century 21 clients to uh, Realogy? Well, sad to say it's 8%. Mm-hmm. So, it's hard when you have scale and you have leverage and you have technology and you have a platform that's adaptable. I mean, look at what those guys did with the cloud. Mm-hmm. It started with Amazon and now Microsoft and then Google. And then, you know, that was just some brilliant guy walking into a meeting and saying, you know, I think we have overcapacity or I think we can sell. I mean, that was brilliant, mm-hmm. but they had the scale to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and no one else had it. You could, many companies started cloud companies at the same time Amazon did and they went nowhere. Yeah, that's true. And I think Amazon's the big realization for Amazon was they looked at their like their their uh, their uh, infrastructure costs and they realized what what would happen if that cost became a profit center. Yeah. I think that, that question created sort of the the the, uh, the sort of the catalyst for that that idea. But I think what's what, what I keep going back to, I, I think about preparing for the future and adjusting for the future. I know we want to talk about sort of the future of work too, Chris, but this idea of I just think now more than ever, Brad, we have to start asking different questions, which is the what if questions. Yeah. And the example you gave, right? Listen, there's a, there's, a, there's a red flag. If someone mentions the word synergy, you got to walk out of the room, right? Because right. no such thing exists, right? It's, it's hard work to build a business or build a, a business as a brand of brands or a house of brands like Amazon is. Well, it means one of two things, Jimmy. If you're buying a company, synergy means you're laying off people from the other company. Yes. Or synergy is this creative word about how you're going to, you know, take one plus one and equal six and, you know, both well, are kind of. Well, let's expand on that, Chris. I think talk, talk, like, I know, Chris, you want to talk about the, the future of real estate agents and sort of work, like work in real estate. I'm just like, you know, as we're talking about, you know, what agents can be doing now to prepare themselves for the future, you know, what do you think about, Chris, when it comes to the idea of like the way agents work? Like how would you even characterize the way agents work today versus where you see it going in the future, Chris? Well, I think nostalgia is going to be an impact. Like I, I actually disagree with you a little bit, Brad, that there's more morale virtually. I, I think that this industry likes to get together. Yeah. You know, and, and so we need we need them to come back to our events. Exactly. Like you, you can't tell me that there's more bonding and camaraderie formed over zoom than there is in the lobby at the marquee in times square so i think you know and same thing with us like curators are a remote company and 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 we do a good job but we're like we're kind of itching for an offsite yeah you know like we're kind of yearning for a whiteboard 
Like, yeah. I, I actually think that there'll be a little bit of a reverb here. I was actually, um, we asked this question last night at dinner. We have, I just looked it up online, like question of the day. What are people doing today that five years from now, they'll look back at and go, oh, that sucked. And my wife said, Zoom. Yeah. You know, like th these things are becoming necessities. I don't think like Carvana has gotten a lot of traction. Yeah. But you can't tell me that if you can go look at a house in person, you would ever not do that. Yeah. if you're about to buy it. Now, some of the investments and buying a second home in a different state, I kind of get it. But I think there's, I think the challenge, Jimmy, is going to be that like human beings mm -hmm. are meant to be together. And I think right now we're all kind of faking it that we're enjoying this new normal. Like, yes, there's some efficiencies and yes, there's some cool stuff that comes along with it. Like more people can probably tune in to connect as a connect now, which you guys have coming up September 15th, which everybody should get a ticket to, you know, you can have 30,000 people attend that. Whereas maybe only 3000 people fit in the ballroom. But when I think about the relationships and the masterminding and the camaraderie that's been formed in this business. Yeah. My friend, Bob Hale, the Houston association of realtors, he's crammed up in a condo with his wife um, and they haven't left. Mm -hmm. And we all have friends like that. And God love them. My daughter's pretty much that way in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, I just couldn't do it anymore. I spent the summer in the woods and I chopped wood and I did this, I did that. I saw my family. Mm -hmm. and I took this road trip. I kind of, you know, bullshitted guys. I said, I don't want to fly. Like what I'm doing is safer, right? She probably touched, contacted eight people, you know, through JFK and, and SFO. I probably contacted that many people today and I got a two and a half week road trip. So I'm kind of, I'm being really safe and I'm being really careful, mm -hmm. but my desire to interact with people and I, my greatest, honest to God, I'd love to see you guys and love to see my old friends, but meeting strangers has all been part of my life. Like mm -hmm. I learned from strangers and uh, you know, the guy that washed my car today, um, I learned so much chatting with him for an hour yeah. uh, and God, I miss that. And you got, I got to have it and I'll take some risk and I have to be more adventuresome. Uh, I don't want to, I wear a mask. I don't want to affect anyone else. That's why I take the tests all the time. I take them every week uh, remotely, but um, I'm with you, dude. I, this, this can't go on too much longer and uh, well, it's it, really suffocating, right? But you got one thing you got to do, you got to stay up, Chris. Yeah, no, I got it. Like you you got to stay positive. Well, go into your crystal ball then. When is the next in-person connect? When is the next HAR event? You know, I, when is the next in-person get together? Yeah, I was on a call with the Remax characters. Great group of people is, you know, great company. And they um, were talking about their big March event uh, being, um, you know, they like everybody, everyone's talking to the hotel people, talking to the Vegas people. And they were talking as if it might happen. You know, we have July in, in Vegas and um, we have disconnect in the spring. I thought, wow, that's, you know, outside. It's always outside. Yeah. I thought we could maybe pull that off. You know, I checked with some people, would you go? Um, my CEO is very responsible. He's worried about liability as he should be. He's worried about, you know, exposing our customers to danger. I mean, we had some companies pull off events, as you know, guys in March in the industry that they probably shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, nothing happened, but, you know, 
uh, it's a tricky thing to imagine when that might happen. Our, if we opened up New York, like imagine February when it, it's scheduled, mm-hmm. I bet half of our customers would come. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I could be wrong. You know, I don't know how safe people feel. It's going to, do they feel as safe as Brad Inman is to take a road trip across the country? Or most of them more like Bob Hale, who, you know, Bob Hale went to an event twice a month. That guy is a people person. He's the most he optimistic, bullish, wonderful human being there is. And he keeps people happy being around him. And no one's been able to be around him. But Bob Hale won't leave that condo in Houston. So I don't yeah. if there's If there's one thing that we've learned through this process, Brad, is... Yeah, we talk about this idea of staying connected. Because what both of you were talking about is essentially how do we how do we stay connected to people? And and virtual is doing the best job it can, but it's it's a far cry from what real belly to belly interaction is. And that's and that's always been the the draw of any of these events like M and Connect, the LobbyCon, right? It's always been the that it's it's actually the inspiration for the water cooler. The water cooler is is it was it was birthed on the idea of like what you talk about actually at the bar after someone gives a polished keynote. That's that's that inspiration for this for this podcast we put on for the last decade. But what's 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 interesting, and I just want you to to weigh in on this as well. Right now, people have got to be communicating, connecting, building an audience virtually. Now you've been doing this for a very long time because you're a media company. And, and you have you have had to, although you've relied on in-person events, the sort of as as our as our, our friend Matthew Shadbolt would say, the mortar between the bricks, right, is the fact that you have got to keep people's attention for months, if not quarters, uh, between these sort of national events that sort of you know jolt some energy into the organization. So we've heard for a long time, Brad, that smart real estate agents and teams should act and operate like a media company. Well, you are a media company. So we want you to maybe share a little bit of thought on how, how does someone actually build a media company? Because yeah. you know this idea of, of content and posting on social and, and, and dancing on TikTok and keeping people engaged on Instagram, you know, that sometimes gets mischaracterized as a media company when in fact you're just simply posting things as social. So share your sort of thoughts and wisdom of, of like what it actually takes to build a media company, knowing that that's maybe an essential characteristic of a successful team going forward. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be a little counter, not counterintuitive, Jimmy, you're not gonna be surprised here, but um, back in the day, people would say, why don't you start a real estate brand, Inman Real Estate Brokerage? I would become one because I, you know, those dedicated followers said they would do that. I don't know anything about starting a real estate brokerage. I, I, my dad used to say, Brad, why do you start, keep starting these new companies that are invented from whole cloth? Why don't you do a traditional business and just follow the rules? As hard as you work, you'd be successful. It's just on my MO. But the point is, I have no clue how to run a real estate brokerage, and I'm sure I would fail. And I think it's a little flippant to tell a real estate agent, or a brokerage to become a media company. But I think I have a lot to learn from brokers and how they think and what they do and behave. And that definitely informs how Inman News delivers the news. As you know, we're delivering far more service journalism this summer. We still have the intel, the scandals and all of that, but service journalism is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And I think with agents and brokers right now they can learn a lot from media by any content they create one post one email one sentence one video our 
the genesis of Inman News is integrity, 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 as Chris knows. Chris would have loved me being on the business side to sell out a little more like other companies in the real estate news business did. But I always stood by church and state, integrity, no one pays for the stage, no one pays. And we had a few slip ups over the years, but it's just been, I was, you know, I pounced on that. Now I would mm -hmm. argue right now with real estate, if you're going to do media, do it with integrity. Don't sell. What does that mean? I, 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 I know. Mad today. I'm in Aspen and uh, not that I live here. I'm not part of that crap, but I'm on my way across the country. And I saw an ad in the Aspen Times with a realtor. I didn't know it was a realtor. It said intelligence about Aspen. I thought, wow, is this a media little, you know, blogger doing something cool? And I typed it in in hopes that I was getting insight into where to go in Aspen. It was a realtor and she did it pretty damn well. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're going to do media, do it with integrity. If your sales pictures all over it, if you're pitching, if you're blowing smoke up people's ass and give people what they want and what's useful. And right now people want listings. They want information. They want data. They don't want you pontificating. Uh, I can't pontificate as much anymore because people don't have time for it. So uh, did I just... answer your question? I feel like I talked a way around it. No, it's a, I'm, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do a Brad Emmon here, which is try to pin you down and then try to answer Ooh, the question. Yeah. Jimmy, do it. <laughs> so what, what, what I want you to define what integrity means in media. Because I think right now what you're saying is if I look at let's let's make some generalizations here, but 99.9% .9 of all real estate content produced is self-promotional, self-serving. And, and so when you say integrity in real estate or integrity in media, like I, I know this is going to sound like you're just teaching me just, you know, what's one plus one. But I think for people who are trying to build up their awareness, build up their reach, building up their audience. This is a basic foundational piece that, that maybe doesn't come natural to them because they've been taught, talk about yourself, promote yourself. Like, well, how do you define integrity when well, it comes to my business? It's very simple. It's, it's not complicated at all. Sure. Whether people can use these values to apply it to real estate, creating media, I don't know, but I would, I would suggest you do it. Um, our reporters cannot own stock and real estate related companies. Mm -hmm. No one owns stock in Inman News except me and my management team. Um, I don't write, and no, neither can you write about any companies where you have a business relationship. Um, if anything, if there is a business relationship, it's fully disclosed. Um, our news every single day is produced by reporters who are independent of the business side. The business side and the reporters really, as Chris knows too well and he was there, it's a very rough road at Inman News to talk. And that's just where I came from. I was a newspaper reporter. These are fundamentals. That's like integrity in real estate is not lie to your customer, right? Not over, not represent something that's not true. There's some basic fundamentals of good real estate integrity. These are just the integral values. We just had someone come in and they're going to rebrand Inman. And I thought it was really a great exercise. But what they said is the very roots of Inman, Brad Inman, 25 years old, writing a column for the LA Times and how I was trained is what Inman News became. And at the, in the beginning... In the beginning, Jimmy, that didn't work very well for Inman because mm -hmm. none of these big companies would sponsor anything and they wouldn't advertise anything. They, they were used to buying the news and buying the content, which is just like a realtor promoting themselves. Bullshit. Consumers see through it. And so I could have made a lot more money in the early days. But guess what now? And, and I love my competitors. We dusted them all because guess mm -hmm. what? Integrity wins now. now. This summer, now more than ever, we have more readers, more subscribers. Our subscriptions are through the ceiling our readership because that integral element is what we're all searching for. We're searching for fact-based, reliable information. 
Some people don't like our headlines. Some people don't like Brad and his opinion, but I'm like the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal. But every single day they know, they've come to realize, and that's why we've gone like this. Mm -hmm. And I think if you operate your business that way, whether it's content or leads or communication with your customer, and try to be true to that audience. Um, I mean, I've had to tell some of my writers. I mean, they, I say, okay, you wanna make fun of realtors? Let's do this. For 90 days, I'm not gonna pay you. I'm not gonna uh, wire money to your bank account on the 15th and 30th. I'm not gonna give you health care. I'm not gonna give you pet care. I'm not gonna give you paternal leave. I'm not gonna do anything. And let's see how you do for 90 days. And let's, based on your traffic, maybe, maybe I'll pay you. I said, that's your reader. Your reader has no guaranteed paycheck. Your reader has no health insurance. Your reader has none of these benefits. They pay for it themselves. And so you wake up every morning and you be absolutely dedicated to them. And yeah. Chris can tell you, we all mature. We all grow up. 10 years ago, Brad Inman probably wouldn't have said that. Mm -hmm. But that's what I've come to realize who my customer really is, how much I love them. And it's not business intel for the elites. It's for that everyday working realtor that needs not just motivated, but given facts so they can do their business better. And Chris, I want you to translate that for like how you might think about that from a strategy. Because Brad, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of meat on that bone. There's some very specific things that, again, may just feel um, you know, obvious to you, but I think there's actually some marketing principles in there that can be applied to a real estate team. But before I pass it to you, Chris, just one question, Brad. What, what criticism of Inman do you think is fair? Because you guys, you mentioned earlier, you're not without controversy and people have been- Yeah, our headlines, um, me having a history probably at times in the past of being too arrogant, um, being a little naive because I believed in, I believed in the entrepreneur, I believed in innovation, just who I am. I love people that start businesses from scratch. I probably defaulted to them. Uh, I probably was overly crit criticized, critical of the, uh, the value chain at the top, the fat cats. You know, I've said that many times on stage, the broker owner. I, I think in the end of the day, I related to the everyday realtor. That realtor was in my hometown of Carlinville. You know, I was an entrepreneur at day one, but I was also a journalist. And I love that I always found incredible connection between the entrepreneur who starts a company like you guys on a personal credit card and the everyday realtor. I don't think most people saw that as I did. I. I saw their relationship as being so powerful in terms of the ethos and the DNA of who they were. Mm -hmm. You know, when you start a company from nothing, no one's writing you a check. And that beauty, that relationship, and I've come to realize, I always felt it. I always said it from stage, but I think in the last few years, I've, I've, I've come to practice it better. And so I've tried to, you know, eliminate some of the, you know, I don't know what I'm saying exactly. You get it? Well, I get it because what you've done is you know your who. Your who is clear. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of agents, and I see this happening, Jimmy, their who is other agents. They're, they're trying to impress their peers. They're trying to put out content that would be looked at by other agents as being good content. And their customer and their who is just the people that live in their community. It's the moms, it's the dads, it's the kids, it's the teachers, it's the cops, it's the business owners. And I, I think when I see the content that agents put out that I gravitate towards, mm -hmm. it's, it's really dialed in on who it was built for, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's, 
that is what you guys nail, Brad, is your reader is an agent, your reader is a broker. And then you have this other segment of readership, people like us, the entrepreneurs, but we do have that in common. You know, it, most people that start a business are crazy to do so. Exactly. Like, I'll be honest, I miss working for you sometimes. Yeah. It was a lot easier to just get a check twice a month. Well, you'd come back whenever you want, Chris. You were a hero. You and Katie Lance are two of my heroes because at a time that social took off, you you really put us on the map. And it, you two guys, you do a great job at this show. You just, you know, there's some people in the world of real estate that I just totally respect. I won't go through the list of people who I just think are, they hang on, they charge exorbitant fees, they think they're special, they overstate their value. You know, you guys always had stuff that I really relate to and your contribution industry has been powerful. Thank well, you. Thanks for saying, listen, we can't even ask you any tough questions when you give us compliments like that, Brad. I'm trying uh, to pull off the last hard question. Listen, well, you know, I asked myself, I said, listen, uh, I remember watching the, I actually do want to ask you some questions about Gary. Yeah. Because I, 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 I'm, and maybe this is maybe not a controversial question, but just, a, just, just getting your thoughts on this. Um, I, I remember watching that interview you had with Gary Keller a couple of years ago. I know you're going back on stage with him for Connect, which is what, when is that, Chris? September 15th? September 15th, Inman Connect Now. Or is it Inman Now? Is it Connect Now? Uh, connect Now, I think, yeah. Connect Now. It's just Connect. Everyone. Inman.com, buy a pass, tune in. But you had you had one of the most iconic interviews. Uh, it was it was like there was moments. You know, we all know this. Who, who anyone who produces content, like there's these moments where like you're when you're going through it, you're like this is something special. Mm -hmm. And that was for for from an just purely from an audience perspective. I was watching that and I was like, this is must watch TV because mm -hmm. these two are at at, at at a at a at a um, they're just at a head and they're just going back and forth. And neither one of you were giving an inch, which I found just fascinating. Uh, I'm just curious, when you look at entrepreneurs like Gary, how would you grade how Gary is doing given the, all the changes happening in this industry? Because, you know, Keller Williams, who we have so many Keller Williams clients who are just doing amazing work with Curator. So I say this to my own, own sort of detriment. Um, I see them kind of getting outpaced by companies like Side, like Compass, like Zillow, like Redfin. I, I haven't seen this and maybe because i'm just not close to it and that's and that's a fair you know criticism i haven't seen this sort of like leadership from the front from keller williams during this the, during this pandemic that i've seen from other companies how would you grade gary keller right now in terms of their ability because they said a couple years ago we are a technology company you just said at the beginning of this interview technology is overrated give us a grade on gary keller how he's doing and then awesome I would never underestimate him, you know? I, I, listen, I ain't underestimating either, but I just want to keep the information. Yeah, and he's pivoted, and he's wicked smart, and uh, he's cunning. He's a fox. And, you know, he he took an opportunity when Send It, or Realty was on its back, and just drove a caterpillar through it, you know? So mm -hmm. I wouldn't underestimate him. I don't think we should judge anyone on three, four months of behavior, activity, or leadership. I think everybody's trying to find their way. And I, I wouldn't even start to do that to anybody. One thing I know for sure, Gary was always kind of humble. He was a man of his people. He was a man of his agents. Mm -hmm. He spoke that truth. Richard Smith got on my stage, and I respected Richard Smith for getting that company through all that debt laid on them by private equity. Um, but Richard Smith said, my customer is the broker owner. Now they changed their tune. 
But Gary was always a man of the age. He talks to agents every day like I do and like you two do. And he likes that. He's more comfortable in that world. So I wouldn't underestimate him. I will tell you some things about that interview. That interview was really profound for me. I've only had three people that took the mic from me. And by that, by that I mean a journalist interviewing people never wants the person in this seat to take the mic away from the interviewer. Not because we're arrogant or elitist or anything else. It's just you don't want to give them the opportunity to just you know, talk, blather on how great they are. Because that's not what your role is to serve your readership, or in my case, the people in the plastic chairs. They came all the way from Memphis to New York or San Francisco. They're paying $2,000 for it. The last thing they need is some guy getting up there and giving a commercial. Mm -hmm. So you try to ask them. And then if they're really powerful and they get paid a lot of money, you ding them, you ding them, you ding them. Barbara Corcoran took the mic away from me, how she did that. She met my wife, Yaz, in the back green room with Rupert Murdoch, all three of them sitting back there. I can't even imagine that dynamic. And Barbara came back and said, I met your trophy wife. And my wife is, is trophy, but she's not a trophy wife by any means. Smarter, more sophisticated than any typical trophy wife. But then she leaned into my ear and said, uh, and she says, you're terrible in bed. Now, mm. Barbara did, being very savvy, is put the interviewer on his heels. Yes. And she took over and she could say whatever she wanted. And you know what? That was great because no one wanted to hear from me. They want to hear from Barbara. The second guy that did that was Barry Diller. Barry Diller is just a lot smarter and more savvy than me. And he took the mic away, mm -hmm. meaning he controlled the whole setting. And the last was Gary Keller. And with Gary Keller, I needed that. And here's a little bit of, um, you know, kind of uh, behind the scenes. There were a lot of broker owners in that audience. And they don't like Gary Keller. They weren't Keller Williams. And they don't like him at all but they were really happy to see, finally, after 20 years, the tables turned on Brad Inman. And <laughs> Gary did it. And so, and then I had a whole crowd of people that thought I was great and Gary was bad, but there was a group of people that finally felt like, finally, someone nailed Inman. So, yeah. you know, it was humbling. It was a very humbling experience. And it's humbling experience that, you know, help us grow. It's when we fall down that we learn. Yeah, it's it, and and it's it's just ironic because listen, I, I love what you said about Gary, which is you don't bet against someone like Gary. And, yeah. and listen, and listen, my my observation is from an entirely different place, and I, I certainly don't want to be perceived as criticism here. But you don't bet you don't bet against people like that. And even Chris had a chance to interview Gary Keller, and it's actually I'm not sure if you know this, Brad. It's one of our most watched interviews. And this is off topic, Chris, but how would you characterize that Gary Keller interview you did? Because I think it was iconic in our own way. Yeah, terrible comments from the viewers. I interrupted him too much. Yeah. I didn't let him finish his thoughts enough. I was a rookie. He never should have given me the interview. I, I mean, I didn't deserve the interview. Yeah. But at the same time, I was kind of doing what Brad does, which is like I was representing my tribe. Yeah. I wasn't there concerned with how his tribe would respond. But you know what the other thing I'll add there, Jimmy, is human beings are always enamored by the next big thing. Yeah. So what, what happens is once you reach a certain status, Keller Williams was the new kid on the block. They were the new thing and then they became the biggest thing. Yeah. And so now people are looking at Compass and looking at EXP and getting, you know, excited about the new kids. Mm -hmm. Curators in the same boat. We're eight years old now. We're not the new cool thing. People yep. look at the new cool thing, right? So like, I, I just think that's human nature is to I actually- I gotta think, Rich, I would, I mean, not Rich, I would say I was thinking ahead of myself here. 
Chris, I would, there are some people in the industry this summer and this spring, mm -hmm. um, whatever Gary's up to, I don't think we know yet. I don't know if, if you're right, Jimmy, but there are some people like, look what Rich Barton's done, which is mm -hmm. why I used the word Rich before. Rich Barton is like way out ahead of this in a really an extraordinary way. And I think that's not to be underestimated. I don't think you can underestimate Compass now. You know, Adam at Remax, I think he's a sleeper. Mm -hmm. Steady Eddie, you know. Um, and I just, I think there's a lot, what really happened, which is beautiful. I don't know about you guys if you've seen this. The corner office, the big shot, you know, these people were just aloof from what real estate's about, which is that local agent selling and helping people buy houses. And now you have these people working out of their kitchen, just like the everyday agent. Whenever I did, I did 62 podcasts in the spring with these people and they've been humble. They're thinking about their world, their lives, everything they do differently. And so I think the pyramid of real estate, you know, the big shots at the top, the franchise and the broker owners and the agents and the, everybody at the top kind of looking down on the everyday agent. I was always shocked when I got in this industry that the people at the top made fun of the everyday colorful agent. These are the people that carry the weight of the entire industry. Zillow's valuation depends on realtors. Inman's valuation depends on realtors. Curator depends on agents. Franchises, broker owners, that everyday agent working his butt off is carrying mm -hmm. the whole load. What I see this summer, it's flipped. These yeah. are the people. These are the people providing the essential services to America at a time. It's kind of like we're standing on this little rope ladder and you know somewhere in uh, thailand over a rushing river below us is this rushing horrible river COVID, economic collapse race riots everything else but somehow at the top are realtors walking around at the top being protected somehow why because they're providing a really essential service and yeah. suddenly i think the, the the executives the fat cats the others have recognized it ain't what I do. It's not my friggin' corner office with all my damn trophies and mm -hmm. you know my plaques and my college graduations to show off. It's the everyday agent that supports me because not one of us would be alive in this industry without them. Well, that's a sentiment that we have here at Curator. We say this, we're, we say, you know, we look at companies like Airbnb, which listen, we can be humble enough to say Airbnb is a better company than Curator. They're probably more, they're better run. They have probably better talent. And we look at their business and say, they got decimated, not because of anything they did, but because of a hundred year flood. And we look at our business and we say, well, we survived and now we're thriving because we're in an industry that was deemed essential and that we would be out of business if we were in restaurants, if we were in travel, if we were in, you know, anything that required in, in events, like we would be out of business. And I think for us, we have a sense of feeling very grateful that, despite the fact that this was beyond our control, we still are able to pay our employees and come to work every single day and do what we do. I, 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 you mentioned Rich Barton, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Zillow in this, in this conversation here, guys. Um, I read Zillow's annual reports. And, I, and, and, and anytime Inman talks about Zillow, right, there's uh, a bunch of people who comment about how terrible Zillow is, how it's ruined the industry. And then you got Jay Thompson, saying you guys are idiots, right? Uh, that's sort of the general theme, right? Sort of rinse and repeat, right? Our guy, Jay, who I love. Um, why, like when you look at the landscape, and I'm, I'm gonna ask you to sort of look at the future here, if you read his annual reports and you read what he's communicating to investors, you can't help but come to the conclusion that 
they're going to get into real estate. They're going to become a brokerage. When they talk about moving into, it may, might not be the traditional brokerage that we're in right now, but when they talk about moving from the real estate advertising market, which is a $19 billion market, into the residential real estate market, which is a $1.9 trillion, $1 trillion market, it's hard to say that word because it's so big, like you see them, like they've got the consumer, they got the brand, now they got the operations, now they got the salespeople. At what point do, do people start identifying Zillow as a brokerage? Because it just feels like they've controlled the entire stack, Brad. This is the last chip to fall. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little like tired of that whole discussion, but I think what you have to realize, I think the fear for 10 years, Zillow's going to get into the transaction, and then that was code. They're going to become a broker. They're going to become a you know there'll be Zillow agents. You know, really doesn't matter if they're Zillow agents. I don't know in the scheme of where I live in the world, but more importantly, um, they were going to get into the transaction. What I think people have missed, it's not getting into the transaction. Zillow is the transaction. I mean, think about it for a minute. They are the transaction. They're buying and selling homes. <laughs> They're not getting into it. They are the transaction. And I think what everyone needs to realize is that is the reality of what's happening. And let's go back, y'all. Let's go back 20 years. Every time something came about in real estate, I would argue it was an opportunity. I got challenged the other day. Brett Inman said that realtors are going to dis be disintermediated by technology. I think Chris can attest. I never, ever said that. I've always used a realtor. I think realtors will be around forever. You know, I jokingly once said, and it really pissed people off and it have pissed people off here. Um, I lived in New York for many years. I'm going to live there again soon. Um, and we live with rats and you can't kill rats. You can't kill them. They're too tenacious. They work too hard. They are, they are survivors. They are thrivers. And I then mistakenly said, which I'm going to say again here, realtors are like rats. That wasn't comparing a realtor to a rat. It's just, just like an entrepreneur. If you start a company, you do not give up. You're tenacious. You're constantly, constantly, constantly there. And you seek opportunity. If the trash is out today on one street, they go to the next street. And realtors are like that. Realtors always somehow outworked innovation. And I guarantee you, whatever Zillow is going to do, if they are the transaction, just like they migrated a digital from paper, just like you migrated from phone calls to social, just like they migrated from, you know, in-person open houses to realtors will adapt and Zillow will create huge opportunity for the realtors to take advantage of it. And realtors are going to still be in business. When I sell or buy in New York, I'm going to call a realtor. Every American is going to call a realtor. What we do, how we do it may change, but hey, come on, Zillow, Zillow is just part of, it is distribution. You know, Century 21, Remax and KW gave up that consumer destination. If you looked at the internet 15 years ago, they were at the top. They were at the very top. And now Zillow, which is a brand of habit like Google and Facebook, it's not just a brand, it's a brand of habit. And when you have a brand of habit, and that goes back to Inman News, how do we stay in touch? We deliver 25 news stories every day to your inbox. And then another 500 people comment on those 25 stories. If you're going to get in the media business as a realtor, make sure you're present every day with credible information. And then you're truly a media company. But if you don't deliver that value, don't expect anything. So, well, you mentioned Amazon earlier about you know Amazon's a ruthless competitor, and they treat their ruthless. like they treat the partners not as if they're the consumer. So when they say Amazon is customer obsessed, 
they're not talking about partners. They're talking about, the right? So is, is Zillow the Amazon of this industry? Are oh, we- I, I, wrote, I think I wrote about it four years ago. Um, this very issue that, you know, the playbooks, it's all out of Seattle. It's the water they drink there. And a lot of derivatives like Rich Barton from Microsoft. And, and I'm sure Amazon learned how to be ruthless from watching Bill Gates across the pond. And so, you know, those are people that leverage their partners. Um, now, real estate, it's more complicated. And Zillow had to navigate this crazy path. of More complicated than sending a man into space? Because that's what Amazon's doing these days. Well, yeah, you're right. But they had to navigate real estate, this decentralized, fragmented, localized business that, you know, quite frankly, books, that was a no-brainer. You know why? If, if real estate had been run by a bunch of the big franchises with employees where they control the roost, that would have upended real estate right away. What Amazon could do in books, there were like 20 publishers. All they had to do is manipulate and, and you know, overwhelm them. And I think Zillow did this. I think Zillow cut deals with franchises and cut deals with broker owners for listings that did not serve the consumer very well. Uh, pardon me, did not conserve the, serve the everyday agent very well, but did serve the consumer where Zillow looked and where they stood. And I think a lot of franchise and broker owners kind of sold out. And I think those deals are being, what I understand, I don't have any latest, but they're being revisited. You know, you could, you know, so I think all of that, Amazon has really figured it out. It's harder for the industry with this fragmented industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 read, I read that those annual reports as I mentioned. And, and all, I, all I say when I finish reading this, I say, these guys are playing chess and the rest of us are playing checkers. Oh, those people at Zillow are super smart, you know. They're, and so I think, I, and I think the best thing to do is to is to embrace what they're doing and try to Partner. apply it locally. And, the, and by the way, if there's no ROI and it doesn't make sense, don't waste money on them. But I'm referring more to the business model, like modeling, like you know. There, I remember the, we had uh, Rand Fishkin, Chris, remember a couple of weeks ago on the water cooler. He said he sat down with Rich Bar, and we have Spencer Raskoff coming on. I think next week from uh, you know formerly uh, a CEO of Zillow. He said. They, when he met with them, Brad said, our goal is to make the word Zillow synonymous with real estate. And just this past year, the word Zillow was searched more on Google than the word real estate, which they yeah. obviously were successful. I mean, that, they just gave it up and the industry gave it up. They gave up, their, the, the, the publishers gave it up to Amazon and just go through the list. The travel companies gave it up. The hotels gave it up to, you know, um, Barton's earlier conquest and travel. So, you know, these are, there's, but I think there is a lot of change now. I think the industry is trying to get its act together. We'll see. Well, one thing I'd say there, Brad, is that the first company to stop servicing customers when the pandemic hit was Zillow, right? They stopped buying houses. Oh, uh, open door, stop buying houses. So if that that should, exactly. I'm, trying, I'm trying to end on a positive note here. That should give us hope that we are truly essential. That when things do get tough, the, the local real estate agent is going to be able to survive. On that note, Chris, why don't we end on a positive note? Let's talk about the future here. Let's talk about, let's give our audience here something to look forward to here going into the fall. Yeah, I'm just going to ask Brad one last question. And I'm, I'm actually fascinated to hear what his answer is going to be. Brad, we like to recommend books, podcasts, apps. If, if our audience could read one book that you recommended, what book should we read? I'm not a self-help guy. You know, when I was in the ebook business, Chris, they were our biggest seller, but I mm-hmm. just, I never, 
did it myself. I never hired a coach. I never did all the stuff I should have done. I, people say, why do you do that? You could have been more successful. I was like, well, I was plenty successful. I'm fine with what I got. But, you know, so I'm not a fan of all that stuff. And I sometimes, oh, I just shrink when I hear how much money is being spent. So mm -hmm. I couldn't recommend a self-help book. I'm sorry. And I know the real estate industry needs coaching and they've got, we had a whole month devoted to coaching. It's really important to a lot of our agents. So I don't want to demean it. It's just my personal hangup. Mm -hmm. But I'll just give you a positive book. Yeah. And it's hard to get into. And it's a little complicated. And it's a novel. And it's called The Rosie Project. Mm -hmm. And when you're done, you feel better. You feel better about people that may be different than you. You feel better about how people can form relationships and find happiness in places they don't expect it. You feel better about how people get what they want without maybe trying so hard. Mm -hmm. And it's a novel. It's an easy read. The first chapter, you go, oh, God, Inman. But when you're done, I guarantee real estate people will be able to relate to it because it's about relationships and how they come about. And I'll just leave it at that. It's a, it's a really interesting novel. The other stuff I've been reading is financial scandals, and it's pretty boring. So I won't recommend any of those. Awesome. Well, Brad, thank you for being on. You're By the way, I would recommend your book, Chris, and everything you've ever done and anything ever Jimmy's ever done. I am yeah. such fans. And yeah. I wish I, I had a martini. I've only drank half of it, but I hope I didn't blather too much. Well, you, you called us one time the coolest guys in real estate, and we disagree. We think you are the coolest guy in real estate. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for another great show. Brad, safe travels. Hopefully, you'll get back to Yaz. Keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Love you guys.